We're in Acts chapter 17. These were more noble. Who's these? You'll see there we have it marked. The Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Can I point out a word to you, that word noble? What's that mean? Frankly, it means of higher class. Christians that are, are, are in, a, in an upper tier of walking with God search the Scriptures daily. Our other verse, if you'll slip over to 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show thyself approved unto God. By the way, this is an imperative. That means it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Can I highlight some some words there, and then we'll pray. First, that word study. The word study has within it diligent exertion, intensive labor. Studying the Bible should require some effort. And if you get into it enough, you will feel some sense of exhaustion. Howard Hendricks, the author, says this, Scripture does not yield its fruit to the lazy. And he's right. Then I want you to notice this, approved. Approved means tested in fire. You want to present yourself as a Christian that has been through the fire and has come forth as gold. How do you do that? You do that by studying God's Word. This is really interesting. Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman. More often than not, when that word for workman was used in in, in Greek speech, it was talking about a farmer. How interesting. A farmer will tell you that when you sow something, it takes a while to reap it, doesn't it? Do you give up on it because it doesn't spring up the next day? No, you keep cultivating it. When you're reading your Bible, when you're studying your Bible, you're going to have days where you're like, man, alive, this didn't do anything for me. You keep going back, and you keep cultivating, and you keep digging, and you keep working, and ultimately, not only do you sow what you reap what you sow, and you reap later than you sow, you reap more than you sow. And you get back so much more than you put in a hundredfold in some cases. Then he says, rightly dividing the word of truth. That literally means to cut straight. There's a couple of applications for that. If you're plowing your your field, you want to cut straight, don't you? You want to plow straight. But it also has the idea of a surgeon. You don't want a surgeon that's all jagged, do you? You want somebody to cut straight. And it's my job as a pastor, and it's your job as a student, and my job as a student, to cut straight when we're dissecting the truths of the Word of God. So, Father, would you help us tonight as we get into this study? Lord, I I sincerely need you to help me to bring this out of just being academic, not just being a lesson, but being a life-changing encounter with God and His Word. And, Lord, only you can do that. 
So Holy Spirit, would you, Holy Spirit, would you prepare our hearts and may we glean exactly what we need tonight and moving forward in this series. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Dr. Hendricks uh, conducted a survey among professed believers. Now, we understand that anytime you do something like that, not everybody he talks to is probably a, prof- is a true believer, but these were all professed believers, and he asked them, do you study the Bible? And those that admitted to not studying the Bible very frequently or very consistently seem to give six basic answers. Six, these six answers accounted for more than anything else. So we're going to ask this question, why people don't study the Bible? The first person he talked to said, I'm a practical man, and I expect things to work when I need them to work. And sometimes I go to the Bible, and I don't immediately get something from it, and I need something that works right then. His problem was a problem of relevance. I need to perceive that the Word of God is relevant to me right here, right now. Now, you understand that if you ever walk away from the Word of God feeling it's irrelevant, the problem's with you and not with God, not with His Word. But some people, that's their excuse. I don't find it relevant. The next person he talked to, um, this is a misprint in here, and I'm sorry. Actually, you don't have this on here, so never mind. Only I know it's a misprint. I would, but I don't know how. Now, think about that. That's really not much of a bogus excuse, is it? I mean, there are people that have never really been taught how to sit down with the Bible and study it effectively. I, You know what? I love handing tools to people while they're doing some kind of craftsmanship. I love watching it. I love seeing how it plays out. But I don't do it because I never got taught. I never got taught. And there's plenty of people that say, man, I love seeing people break open the word of God and pull this out and show this and all of that. But I just don't know how. Well, that's what we're trying to do now, is we're trying to give people the tools that they need to know how to effectively study the word of God. So his was a problem of relevance. This one's a problem of technique. What, what's my technique here? We could also say method. Now, this one is more common than you might think. I don't study the Bible because that's what we pay the preacher to do, and that's what we have the Sunday school teachers to do, and that's what we have the, the associate pastor to do, and that's what we have the Christian school teachers to do. I'm just a layman if you're familiar with that term. I want to remind you again, the Bible makes no distinction between clergy and laity. In fact, God had a real problem with this group called the Nicolaitans over that very issue. Whose responsibility responsibility is it to study the Word of God? Anybody who names the name of Christ has a responsibility to study the Word of God. Anybody and everybody, this is a problem of responsibility. They need to say, I have a responsibility to study God's word. And sometimes that falls back on this idea that I don't really need it. We have recently encountered some folks that um, embrace Seventh-day Adventism. 
Very nice people, but their doctrine's wrong. If I'm honest with you, I'm a little weak on their doctrine. So I got on AB books and Amazon and everything else, and I loaded up on every resource I could get to bone up on that. Why? Because I need it. When you realize you have a need for something, it makes you feel responsible to learn. If one of my kids were to lose their hearing, what's the first thing I would do? I'd learn sign language. I'd feel a responsibility to do that. Um, you know, I know of parents that their, their kids have specific health needs and they have learned certain techniques and certain things medically to do to take good care of their children because there's a responsibility there. Hey, Christian, if we can just understand, we have, a, we have a need to know what the Bible teaches about everything, it'll start to build a responsibility in ourselves. Here's what somebody else said. Oh, this one's probably going to res- resonate with all of us. I would, but I just don't have time. Well, that's a matter of priorities. Because when we say we don't have time, what we really mean is I don't have time to study my Bible and still do everything else I want to do. It is a rare thing to encounter somebody that is truly so busy that they have no time for the Word of God. Um, I don't begrudge anybody watching a ball game. I don't. But if in that particular day you had, you had a choice, I've got time to watch the ball game or I've got time to get in God's Word, which should have the priority? God's Word. Why don't you study the Bible? Some of it's a matter of relevance, a matter of technique, a matter of responsibility, a matter of priorities, a matter of faith. One person they asked said, well, if I'm honest with you, I have my doubts. I believe I'm saved. But there's some things in the Bible I don't understand and I don't get it and I just, I have my doubts. Now, when you run into somebody like that, the worst thing you can do is pounce on them and call them a heretic and everything else. It is, it is natural and normal, if not noble, it is natural and normal for people to entertain doubts, and we have a responsibility to help them sort through those doubts when that happens. May I remind you that Jesus said that John the Baptist was the greatest born among women right after he doubted. It's a matter of faith. Can I give you an illustration about that? I, I hope you won't think less of me. I've pastored for a total of 17 years. I've been saved for 44 years. I've been studying the Bible or reading the Bible at least since I was old enough to read because I went to a Christian school and was in a Christian family, and the Bible was put in front of me as soon as I was able to start benefiting from it. And I thank God for that, by the way. In all of that time, I have yet to encounter a satisfactory answer as to why God sent the Israelites in and told them to kill everybody, including babies. I've heard people make a good run at it to try and explain it, but I've never heard a satisfactory answer. So what kicks in at that point? Faith. I don't have to understand everything in the Bible. I don't have to have all the answers. I don't have to understand why God did this or didn't do this. All I have to do is rest in who I believe he is. 
last person. I would, but it just doesn't hit home. I just can't make it interesting. And that's, that's the problem right there is you're trying to make it something, and that's not how it works. But this is a matter of application. It, it needs to be seen how this applies to your life. Why people don't study the Bible. All right, so let's make it a little more personal. Why should we study the Bible? Why people should study the Bible? Now, obviously, it's a command. 2 Timothy 2.15 is an imperative. God tells us to do it. But aside from that, what are some good reasons? And I'm only going to give you three. What are some good reasons to study the Bible? Well, can I tell you, first of all, that Bible study is essential to growth. You are not going to grow without studying the Word. Have you ever encountered somebody, well, my, my faith is just built on loving God and loving others, and I don't get hung up on doctrine, and I don't, get, I don't get too deep into the Bible, Psalm 23 occasionally, and I like John 3.16, but I don't get too deep. Well, then, if that person is saved to begin with, they will never, never, never grow. They won't. And, and by the way, they won't grow if they're willing to live off of a diet of other people's teachings too. There's churches all over America that are packed full of people that are listening to guys that are all shades of, of, of faulty and false doctrine, and they never bother to check up on them, but they think, I'm a really good Christian. They don't grow. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse number two. First Peter chapter two, verse number two. Peter says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. That ye may grow. Bible study is essential to growth. Let's break that verse down. First of all, as newborn babes, we see this presenting to us the kind of attitude we should have. What kind of attitude did your baby have when they were first born? Were they patient? When it was time to eat, were they, Mother, Father, I know you're busy, but, but when you get a chance, I'm a bit hungered, and I, would, I wouldn't mind having something, some sustenance of some kind. No. I got to have that milk. I got to have it now. Nothing else matters. That's exactly the attitude we need to have when it comes to the Word of God. I have got to get into God's Word. I have got to get fed. I have got to do it right now. Nothing else matters until I hear from God. That's the right attitude. And a close relation to that would be desiring the sincere milk of the Word. That's the kind of appetite we ought to have. I don't know how your kids were, but my kids, both of whom are skinny as a rail now, my kids, even now, I got to cut them off at some point. Asher is in this place right now. This boy, now, here's what he does. He doesn't eat like he should at lunch because he's too busy talking. That's what, that's what I suspect is going on. There's a whole lot left over in his lunchbox, and I know exactly why, because he won't be quiet. He's talking to his friends, Okay. But eventually he eats, and that's not Ms. Ware's fault at all. They're all like that, you know. And, and, and so, I, you know, when he comes home with a full lunchbox, 
well, not full, but I mean, he's eaten what he wants and he's left what he doesn't and all of that. Um, as soon as he gets home, it's time for a snack. And so the lunchbox gets emptied. So it doesn't go to waste. But then not long after that, it's time for another snack. And then yesterday, last night we had dinner. This boy had three times the amount that he usually eats. Just, I'm like, good night, son. We're starting to get into that territory where my portion is getting cut into. That's, that's no good. Man, isn't it awesome when somebody's a brand new Christian, they can't get enough of the word? Why does that stop? Why do we let ourselves grow out of that? The right appetite. And then, what's our aim? What's our goal that you may grow thereby? That's the goal to grow. Why should we study the Bible? The Bible is essential to growth. Number two, Bible study is essential to spiritual maturity. Not just growth, but maturity. And you know there's a difference, right? You can have a kid grow 6'4", 260, blue chip, Alabama, whatever, you know. It doesn't mean they're mature. Go to Hebrews chapter, I don't have this on the slide because it's too many verses. Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 11. Verse number 11 says this, Hebrews 5, verse 11, of whom we have many things to say. We want to talk more about this high priest after the order of Melchizedek. We have many things to say, and they're hard to be uttered. Why? Seeing ye are dull of hearing. There's so much more I want to teach you, but you can't handle it. You're dull of hearing. For how does this happen? For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong drink, strong meat rather. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I want to focus in on that phrase in verse number 11, dull of hearing. Dull of hearing. You know what that means? It means slow to learn. It means you are at a learning level beneath where you should be. It means from a spiritual perspective, your understanding of the word is challenged. It's beneath what it should be. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I got a page that just came loose. I've been putting off retiring this Bible forever. I'm going to have to. What a shame. 
Why should we study the Bible? Bible, essential is, Bible study is essential to growth. It's essential to spiritual maturity. Number three, it is essential to spiritual effectiveness. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, Unto all good works. Can I can I highlight some some things to you in these these verses? First of all, he says all scripture. The word scripture means writings. It comes from the word graphe. It means writings. It's where you get like the word autograph to self write. And when it says all Scripture, what it means is all of the words and every word. And we call that the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture. We believe each of the words are inspired, and we believe they all are inspired. It goes on to say all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Those five words are all one Greek word, theopneustos. Maybe some of you have heard your kids say that word at home and you think they're, they're, they're losing their mind. No, I have told them if they can give me that word and correctly write it on a quiz, they'll get, they'll get bonus points. So they've been walking around, stay up, Neustos, stay up, Neustos, stay up, Neustos. They're not losing their mind. And if they can write it in Greek, ooh, I'm especially impressed. It literally means God breathed. God breathed. So all scriptures, all the writings, all the words were breathed of God. Now, profitable. What's a profit? A profit's when you end up with more than you started with, right? Do you want to end up with more than you started with spiritually? You go to the Word of God. What's it profitable for? Doctrine. We've been through this many times. What's doctrine? That's what's right. We would say, Lord, teach me. Doctrine is what's right. Lord, teach me. Reproof, that's what's wrong. Lord, touch me. So doctrine's what's right. Lord, teach me. Reproof is what's wrong. Lord, touch me. Correction, how to get things right. Lord, turn me. And then instruction in righteousness is how to keep things right. Lord, train me. Doctrine, what's right? Lord, teach me. Reproof, what's wrong? Lord, touch me. Uh, Correction, how to get things right? Lord, turn me. Instruction in righteousness, how to keep things right? Lord, train me. So does that pretty much cover everything? What's right, what's wrong, how to get it right, how to keep it right? That's pretty much taking care of everything. And you all get it in the word of God. You get it all in the word of God. Then in verse 17, he says that the man of God, and by the way, this isn't limited to just the preacher, the vocational preacher. This is anybody that names the name of Christ, that the man of God may be perfect. Sinless? No, that means mature, fully grown. That the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished, which means fully equipped unto all good works. When you look at the temptation of Christ, and and by the way, you remember 
the Bible doesn't say that he was tempted three times. The three temptations that were given in, in the Gospels are representative. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's pretty clear from the Gospels he was tempted the whole 40 days he was up there. Okay. But in those three representative temptations, each time Jesus answered Satan with what? Scripture. Specifically, the book of Deuteronomy. And the author, Mr. Hendricks, asks a question that has really, really burrowed into my head. Jesus, fighting for his spiritual life, which, of course, he couldn't fail. But he is teaching us how to protect ourselves spiritually, and we do it by calling upon the word of God. And he used Deuteronomy. Now, here's the question that he posed. If my spiritual life depended on my knowledge of Deuteronomy, how would I make out? Insert any book there you want. If my spiritual life was determined by my knowledge of 1 Chronicles or Habakkuk, how would I make out? The truth is, our spiritual lives do depend on how well we know this book. Here's another question. Keep going? Okay, I am. Can we trust the Bible? Now, this is an apologetics study all on its own. Okay, I'm just going to give you a couple of things real quick, just to, you know, some amen points and keep on moving. Can we trust the Bible? The answer, by the way, is a resounding yes. May I remind you, the Bible's a unit. 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. Well, duh, Andy, can I, can I remind you, we can't take this kind of stuff for granted. There's a lot of people who don't know this stuff. 66 books, 39 in the Old, 27 in the New. Written by, give or take, 40 writers. Now, why do we say give or take? Because there's a couple of the books that we're just not sure who wrote them. You mean like Hebrews? No, I know who wrote Hebrews. By the way, can I remind you, there's a big difference between the writer of a book and the author of the book. The author of all 66 books is God's Holy Spirit. Okay? But there were writers. Okay? They composed over the period of about 1,500 years or so. And can I tell you that there are no contradictions or inconsistencies in the Bible? None. None. So the Bible is a unit, and it works perfectly in harmony with itself. Number two. Oh, by the way, there's a... None of us can read that. I, I tried to put a picture of it on your page. You probably can't read that either. But it divides it divides the books of the Bible into groups, like the first five books, Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's called the Law of Moses. It's called the Pentateuch. It's called the Torah. And all of those were written by Moses. You've got the history books of the Old Testament. You've got the poetry books of the Old Testament. Um, you've got the major and minor prophets. I, I've never liked those terms. No, none of those prophets are minor. 
but it's talking about the size of the books, which even then, Daniel should be in. Daniel should be in the major prophets, and Lamentation should be in the minor if we're doing, if we're doing size, because Lamentation is only five chapters. But anyway, I, I digress, or regress maybe. Um, but anyway, and it just divides the Bible up. You can find a chart like that pretty much anywhere on, online. Um, if, you, if you buy the book, Living by the Book, you can, that, that chart is in there. And I did my best to, uh, to make it visible and it failed terribly. Um, but it's a unit. Also, the Bible is God's revelation. His unveiling. Oh, Andy, I want to know God. I want to see God. I want to experience God. Here's how you do it. You ready? Open your Bible. No, I'm going to go sit on a hilltop. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like the Native Americans and hit that peyote. Oh, you're going to see something, but it's not going to be God. I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm going to meditate like the Far Eastern religions. and Something will happen, but you won't see God. You want to see God, look to his word. And we, we use for that first, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You cannot separate God from his word. You can't. Well, I love God and I love Jesus. I'm not a big fan of the Bible. Then you don't love God or Jesus because you can't separate them. The Bible is inspired by God. Second Peter 1.21 For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. That word moved is an interesting word. A lot of times when it was used in Koine Greek, it was used for a ship being carried along by the wind. These guys were just moved, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So now the last, well, a couple of questions left. How will this study help us? Okay, Andy, here I am, the first one. And I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of wondering whether or not it's time for me to uh, um, think about going over to the teen class. Um, I, I can't argue with you on that because they have food. But, you know, yeah. But uh, here's why this study will help us. Effective Bible study requires a method. Isn't it interesting? Anything that we do has to it a method, right? If you're an electrician, is there, is there a methodical nature to what you do? There better be. If you're a mechanic, are there methods? Are there right and wrong ways to do things? Yeah. Let's, let's define our terms. That's going to be big in this series, by the way. A method is a strategy or plan of attack that will yield maximum results for your investment of time and effort. 
So if I am able to get to, and by the way, this study is set up to where you're not going to walk away from this, this is how we do it. No, it's going to give you the tools to then figure out the best way for you to do it. Because there's a lot of different ways to study the Bible, okay? You can, you can do chain references, you can do, um, you can do character studies, you can do, um, you can do doctrinal studies. There's all kinds of ways to approach it. You can be like, brother, I'll just memorize the whole thing. I mean, you can do, you can do all kinds of things. But this is meant to give you the tools to then sit down with the Word of God and whatever you use alongside of it and rightly divide it. So what are the benefits of a good Bible study method? Number one, you're going to be given a simple, proven process. Y'all, if you find something that works, stick with it. Can I tell you, she's not in here. Can I tell you something that frustrates the daylights out of me about my wife? My wife has certain dishes that she has absolutely perfected. Man, they're good. And then one day we'll sit down to the table and I'll say, what are we having? And she'll call out one of these dishes and I'll be so excited. And then I'll start eating. I'm like, something's different. Yeah, I saw something online. I thought I'd try. Why? No, what you had was perfect, but I thought you might like it better. No, there's no improving on perfect. If you have something that works, use it. Well, if we're able to put together a process that we can use over and over and over and over, and it keeps working, how satisfying is that? So you get a process. You know what else? And I'm going to explain this. You will gain a valuable sense of self-confidence in your ability to handle Scripture. Now, we don't mean confidence in a prideful way, but, but don't you want to be the type of Christian that if somebody comes to you with a biblical question, you have the tools in place to try and help them? Yeah. And this will help with that. I'll tell you, you know what else? Joy. You ever been studying God's Word? And He just gave something just to you. Man. I was reading the other day. It was just my Bible reading. I wasn't even studying. It was just my Bible reading. And just something jumped out off the page to me. And I was just like, oh, thank you, Lord. That was for me. There's a joy in that. There's a joy in knowing that the creator of the universe has something to tell you. You know what else you get? You get depth. It deepens your relationship with God because the better you know the scriptures, the better you know the writer or the author of the scriptures. Last question. What are the costs to study the Bible? Now, he leads into this thing talking about 
what you might want to buy. Let's take just a minute and talk about that. Um, his recommendation, and I'll be honest with you, I, I tend to agree with him. He recommends a Bible with as little extra stuff as possible. Um, if you're going to follow along in this program, the, you know, the Ryrie Study Bible, the Life Application, the Schofield, all, all of them have their issues, and they can be distracting. Now, I'm not against them. I've recommended some of them to people, okay? But, if, if, you know, like this Bible that I have up here is text only. He makes a good point. He says even the things at the top, the enemies of the truth, Paul's solemn charge to Timothy, they can mislead you if you're not careful. Because all of that is man's idea of what this is covering. And that's not infallible. In fact, for my personal Bible reading, I have what's called a paragraph Bible. It is, it is set up like any other book. It's not divided into verses and chapters. You just sit down and you read it. I find that's been very helpful to me. So you could, you could go out and buy, and by the way, you do not have to buy, I'm a big fan of expensive Bibles. I, I'm, I'm, I'm like that. Um, but they don't make you any more spiritual. The reason I buy expensive Bibles is because they last longer and I'm hard on them. And I've rebound this one before. I mean, I've, I've you know, but you don't have to buy expensive Bibles. I recommend a wide margin or something that's big enough for you to jump. I'm a big believer in writing in your Bible. Not everybody agrees with that. My wife won't do it. She has a notebook next to her Bible that she writes in. That's fine. I write all in my Bible. And, 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 and it's, listen, it's not, if, it's, if you're worried that it's disrespectful, it's not. It's not. But if you, listen, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, then don't. But do... Do write down what you're reading. We've already, this is a different lesson. We've told the kids the three steps to a good, three, three steps to a good Bible study is read, record, and then reflect. Read, record, write it down, and then reflect. Don't be in a hurry. Think on it. Meditate on it. Um, you know, I've bought expensive little pens from Japan that are super tiny that you can write in the margins. They don't bleed through the paper. They're archival ink. I mean, you can really spend a lot of money. You don't need to. Get yourself a good Bic ink pen, a highlighter, maybe a straight edge, and a Bible you don't mind writing in or a notebook. Okay. But these aren't the costs that they're talking about. There's only one thing that it really costs you to study God's Word. Before I tell you, he says this, the riches of God are free, but they are not cheap. And that's right. So what does it cost you? All it costs you is openness. When you study the Bible, be prepared to pay in the currency of openness. Well, what, what do you mean by openness? First of all, you've got to be open to the idea of studying. Be willing to work. Number two, now, this is going to sound like a really duh thing, but are you open to God? Are you prepared to listen to God speak to you? Well, yeah, of course I am. We say that until he starts doing it. And then it kind of messes with us a little bit, doesn't it? 
Because whenever God speaks, it makes us responsible to obey. And that's the last one. You've got to be open to study. You've got to be open to God. And boy, this is probably the toughest one. Are you open to change? There's two Christians that I really worry about. The Christians whose doctrine and whose understanding of the Scriptures are constantly changing. I worry about those folks. But you know who else I worry about? The ones who never change. Now, are there fundamentals of our faith that are never going to change? Absolutely. But friend, if you've been studying the Bible 40 years and you've never come to a conclusion that was different than what you started with, then you're not doing it right. I've been saved 30 years and I ain't changed my mind about nothing. Then you're not looking at this book. My first church in Alabama, I've told you something like this before. One of the biggest mistakes I made, fresh out of college, pretty young, not married yet. And for the first three years or so of my pastor, for five years there, I pastored that church the way I thought my favorite pastors would want me to pastor. Sometimes that lined up with the Bible and sometimes it didn't. But then I started studying and I started realizing not everything I've been taught is always so. Are you willing to change? Now, do we change for its own sake? No. But if God's word says one thing and we're going in another direction, we need to be willing to change. So this is our introduction. This is actually what you just got is the first. This this is what they've they got Monday, Tuesday, and today. You just got all of that without having to pay tuition. Um, and next week's lesson will be a con- condensation of what they get Friday because they have chapel tomorrow, Friday, and then. Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. So what are they going to cover next? Some of it they've already covered, actually. Next week, we're going to talk about the three steps of our Bible study method, observation, interpretation, and application. Now, they've already covered observation. And uh, what's observation? What do I see? Interpretation is what does it mean? Application is, what do I do with it? What's something I say frequently that would fit into that idea of application? So what? So that's what we'll get into next time. Observation, interpretation, and application. And you've got to have all three. So I hope this has sufficiently whet your appetite and that Brother Davies' class doesn't suddenly get bigger with people claiming to be teenagers who are not. There's going to be some, there's going to be some of these lessons that are not going to be as preachy and as 
I hope I don't sound apologetic. I'm not apologetic. I am convinced we need this. We need this. Well, I've been studying the Bible my whole life, and there may be something that you could learn. Certainly is for me.